Are you okay, Rob? Okay. Right. I thought I'd start by just engaging with the elephant in the room, or perhaps more aptly, the cyclops in the room. Um, this is a corneal erosion. I've got my two-year-old thug of a son to thank for this four months ago. So it's just a regression. So I'm not winking at you. I'm, I'm not kind of going through some pirate phase. Um, I'm just really struggling. So don't worry about me, but I would appreciate your prayers because it's really quite uncomfortable and painful. So I'm just making sure I'm standing on this. So as Andrew said, we are continuing in the series of being transformed to bring transformation. Today we're looking at something quite challenging. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 19, suffering for being a Christian. So if you have a Bible, your phone, it will be up on the screen, but it's always good to follow uh, if you have something there with you. It's always good to make notes in a Bible, isn't it? So I'm going to crack on and read. So it says, Dear friends, some translations have it as beloved, which is lovely, isn't it? Dear beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you, sh if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian... Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. Amen. So on the 19th of July, AD uh, 64, a fire began in the city of Rome, and this fire lasted for, for three days. And as you would expect, it devastated much of the city. And the people's initial anger turned to, to Emperor Nero. We've heard about him, haven't we? Because he's come up in this series before. He was the emperor at the time. And he was known for his ambition to create a new Rome, one full of magnificent structures. But Nero turned the blame onto some of the people. He turned it onto some of the earliest Christians who were in Rome and the surrounding areas. They were then persecuted and they became scapegoated. Do we all know what that word means when we are scapegoated? Remember that for later. You know, we're talking serious suffering here, folks. We're talking um, torture. We're talking about them being sewn into the skins of wild animals and made to crawl around the amphitheater, where they were set upon by wild animals and lions and literally ripped to pieces. Some were crucified. Others were coated in tar and set alight, burned alive to provide lighting for one of Nero's infamous parties. Peter who we've got to know well now, haven't we? The author of this letter would himself end up being crucified, upside down, in fact, in Rome at the orders of Nero. 
And so perhaps this is the context of what Peter is speaking about here. Perhaps not. We, we don't really know. We don't actually know the specific context of, of suffering in the passage. Only that Peter has provided advice and hope to those who are suffering, or indeed who are preparing to suffer for it. Suffer for it. And so as, as I read this, I found it quite useful. Perhaps you might do too. Because we don't know the, the exact details of this, we can better or, or more easily put ourselves in this passage. What is it for us to suffer perhaps as a Christian? And we see this elsewhere, don't we? We think about Paul and the thorn in his flesh. Remember, we don't exactly know the cause of that, but it helps us as Christians as we deal with things that are tough. And so it's this pastoral word of hope, this word of reassurance for people who are facing things like abuse, social rejection, ridicule, public humiliation perhaps, and worse, because they have followed or do follow Jesus. And so today's passage isn't about suffering generally, although, of course, that is difficult for us. It's about suffering as Christians. It's about suffering for and because of our allegiance to Jesus Christ. And so that's what I want to focus on, because really this is the primary meaning of our text. I'm not going to be able to focus on all of it for, for time, but I feel that there's a message for us within what I want to say. And to start with, if you never knew that suffering was part of being a Christian before today, then I'm sorry, and, and I'm not sorry. Because it's really important that you are aware that this is a principle that features throughout the Bible, Old Testament to New to our life today. And what can I say, apart from telling you in emphatic fashion, as I think the, pas uh, the passage does, that it's worth it. It's worth it. And so I just want to start by summarizing this passage, really, in, in, in three points, because I think this summary is useful for, indeed, the, the wider principle of the passages that you will see and hear about in terms of suffering in the rest of the Bible. So number one, I think we need to expect suffering to come our way. Expect suffering to come your way as a result of your relationship with Jesus. It says, do not be surprised. Number two, by suffering for Jesus, be pleased that you share in his suffering and experience glory. We get these emotive words, don't we? They're not indifferent words. It's not tolerate it. Be okay with it. What words do we get? We get rejoice. We get overjoyed. We get you are blessed. Perhaps we would rather they were indifferent words, but they're not. And so we need to read the text and work out what it means. Number three, we should live blameless lives and do good for the sake of Christ, his church, and for the sake of our witness. It tells us don't suffer for something that deserves suffering. Did you pick up on that in the passage? It says, if you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Peter's basically saying that if you suffer for any of those reasons, you brought it on yourself, and you basically deserve it. You get this list, don't you? It kind of seems to go from, from, from the very worst to, to not quite so bad. Murderer to meddler. Meddler's quite an amusing word, isn't it? But I would say meddler is the most prevalent in church communities around the world. The best way I can describe a meddler is an 
uninvited busybody. An uninvited busybody. But on a serious note, on a serious note, meddlers are damaging to church unity. Meddlers are damaging to the relationship that we have with our brothers and sisters in Christ. So don't be a meddler. You know, I was reminded that pretty much every book in the New Testament and plenty in the Old Testament make it abundantly clear that the path of a Christian is likely to lead to suffering. And if you don't believe me, go and have a look for yourself. I'm going to read some of them out to us to make the point. But it's always good to go and find these things out for yourself, isn't it? You know, I don't think the passage is suggesting that we actively seek suffering. Because there are, there are several ifs in the passage, aren't there? If you suffer, if you are insulted. I don't think we should go around saying, I demand to suffer. Make me suffer, please. But what it does say is it's likely that we will. Have you picked up on the difference? But in terms of the rest of the Bible, I just want to make it really clear that I'm not making this up. This features throughout the Bible, and it's something that we really need to grapple with. For example, Colossians 1, 24. Paul writing here. He says, Now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. For the sake of his body, which is the church. Can you see the similarities to our passage? He's rejoicing in his sufferings because he is partnering with Christ who suffered and does so for Christ's bride, the development of the church. 2 Timothy 3.12, nice short one. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Are you persuaded yet? That's two, there are lots more. And before you say to me, well, you know, but Jack, this is Paul talking. Wasn't he the kind of guy who would run kind of headfirst into stuff like this? Well, perhaps he was, but okay then. What did Jesus say? Let's go to Matthew 5, 11 to 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. That's that word again, rejoice and be glad. Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Can you see the similarities to our passage? Let me suggest you go and read Matthew 10, 34 to 36. Let me suggest you go and read John 15, 18 to 20 for homework. Old Testament, have you read about Ezekiel? Have you read about Daniel? Suffering for God. So what's my point? My point is we can't ignore this. We have to grapple with it and work out really what it means. You know, we have a tendency, don't we, to memorize nice, nice Bible verses. Nice sound bites that just drip off the tongue. For God so loved the world. Plans to prosper you. We need to grapple with this. You know, C.S. Lewis once said, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I already knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. I wonder what comes to mind when you think about this. What it is for you to suffer or potentially suffer for being a Christian. I imagine the scale will be pretty wide. Maybe... It's talking to someone about the gospel. Maybe it's leafleting your street 
there's quite a few at the end, by the way. Maybe it's losing status and wealth. Maybe it's being prepared to stand up for something that you know will be unpopular amongst your friends, your family, and wider society. Maybe it's going against state law when it disagrees with biblical teaching. Maybe it's being single. Maybe it's investing in and loving people who are sometimes hard to love because it costs you. Maybe it's being isolated from or even losing family and friends because of your faith. Maybe it's something to do with spiritual warfare. That's an interesting one, isn't it? This COVID response, the church, you know, doing a lot of outreach stuff, looking outwardly. So I think we need to expect this, and I think we've seen this. And you know what? On the one hand, it's tough, but on the other hand, it's encouraging, isn't it? Because we know that we are breaking ground. What about moving to be part of a church plant? That's tough, isn't it? Potentially children moving schools. Loss of things like treehouse where you know your kids get served so well every week. Loss of friendship and support from the church that sent you. I wonder what would cause you to suffer. So this morning, I'm going to be asking lots of questions. And my hope is, you know, they're going to help us understand the passage a little bit. And I want to really apply those principles that I mentioned right at the start, those summative points, which I feel is a real pattern of the Bible. So question number one is this. Do you expect and embrace suffering as a Christian, or do you avoid it? Do you expect and embrace suffering as a Christian, or do you avoid it? I'm just going to have a drink of water. The passage tells us, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ. Then a little bit later on it says, if you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. And avoiding it means we don't even want to be surprised, doesn't it? I think Peter's intended audience were, well, I know that they're in modern-day uh, Turkey, Asia Minor, it was called. And you know what? Most of them would have equated rejoicing and blessing with God's provision, not with suffering for God. I think for them, it would have come as quite an unpleasant surprise to hear this. But I wonder how much we've changed. What do you equate blessing with? What do you equate, uh, what, makes, what makes you rejoice? I don't imagine it's suffering. But, the, you know, their vision, our vision, it's, it's kind of limited to our time and experience, isn't it? What are our time and experiences, Oak Church? And I would say comfort's got a, a lot to do with this. Comfort. Do you know, we live in a consumerist society, don't we, that craves comfort. And I think it just seeps in. We almost feel a right to live a comfortable life. The COVID stuff, the, the war in Ukraine, I think it's an interesting one. I wonder if it's exacerbated this for us. Because we see what's going on here, what's happened, we crave it even more. It might be the opposite way around, though, mightn't it? You see this, and it, and it challenges us, and it think, well, if, if, you know, they're going through this. We've gone through this. Maybe I can take more of this. But it seeps in. From areas where we want to live, salaries that we want to pursue, how we spend our weekends, people that we hang out with, people that we don't hang out with, what we want church to be like, what we don't want church to be like. And I see this on various levels. You know, I hear myself asking my children questions about their friendship groups. 
And do you know what the core of this is? I want my kids to, to be really comfortable, their friendship groups to be really nice. I want my, friend, my girls you know, to have nice girls and boys around them who, who are not going to put them off their learning. And in many ways, I reflect on how I'm bringing up my children, and I think I'm bringing them up to just to pursue comfort. And I imagine that most of us were encouraged to do the same when we were growing up. You know, I've got other questions. How do we take rejection? How do you take it when you're insulted? Do you know what one I think the most terrifying things on earth is? I think one of the most terrifying things on earth is the disapproval of our peers. I wonder if there are some things that we need to unlearn. What about signs of comfort as a Christian? You may agree with these, you may disagree, but here's a few. I would say if you never feel challenged by the Bible or a church talk, you've gotten too comfortable. I would say if your co-workers or friends are surprised to find out that you're a Christian, you're too comfortable. Here's an interesting one. I would say if there's no friction between your faith and your political beliefs, you've got too comfortable. If there's a general lack of growth in you as a Christian, I think you're too comfortable. Weigh that carefully. Once again, I find myself preaching to myself. You need to know that. I'm preaching to myself. But what I will say is that Mez and I have been challenged, challenged to the core in the last year about this. Both of us have found ourselves asking the question repeatedly, what does it look like for us to be a living sacrifice? What does that mean for me? What does it mean for you? And I want to be clear, this is not an anti-comfort message. There's plenty about favor and blessing in the Bible, but I do want to ask the question, do we seek comfort at the expense of limiting God's plans and purposes for our lives? If our greatest blessing, and I believe this, is our relationship with Christ as a result of what he has done for us, then we need to grapple with what we might be called to, which might involve suffering. Do you know, it's, it's, I'd say it's still unusual to experience uh, kind of hostility because we are Christians. Maybe you agree, maybe you don't. Because, uh, but I do think we operate in a culture that is increasingly hostile to Christianity. I don't think we're often persecuted, but I think we can be marginalized. I think there are clues to this. Politicians who, who don't do God. Do you know, as I prepared this, I remembered um, Tim Fallon. Do you remember Tim Fallon? 2017, and I, and I reminded myself of his kind of speech as he left, and I found it really moving. And again, if, go and have a look at what Tim Fallon had to say about being a politician in this age. What else? A nurse is suspended for praying for a patient's recovery. Other clues. A Christian carer is struck off the foster care register for allowing a Muslim girl she's looking after to convert to Christianity. You know, faith in our culture is allowed to be privately engaging. Sorry, my eyes just went. <laughs> um, but it's increasingly excluded from public life. And I think there are other worrying trends emerging at the moment relating to, to gender identity, all sorts of things. So what are we going to do when these issues come knocking at our door? When the priorities of our culture impose on our allegiance to Christ? Are we going to expect it and engage it? Engage with it, sorry. Or are we going to avoid it? 
And there's a difference between embracing something that's happening to us and avoiding it and turning our backs on it. You know, as a family, we go to Cornwall pretty much every year, and there's one thing that you can guarantee in Cornwall, and that's mizzle. Yeah? Mizzle and mist and drizzle combined together. It's the kind of stuff that gets you completely wet. And when we first started going to Cornwall, we, we stopped our plans. Oh, it's mizzling outside. Let's stay indoors, shall we? But you know what? Over the years that we learned, it was better to engage with it and embrace it. It was far better to do that than just avoid it and stay in. So when it mizzles, we now go to the beach. We still have fun. We swim in the sea because we're already wet. The passage also mentions this really interesting point, doesn't it? It's, it's this fiery ordeal, this test, this trial. And when we experience suffering as a Christian, it burns. Like fire, it hurts. Burns can take longer to heal, can't they, as well? But fire also purifies and refines. The trials I have experienced have ultimately purified. They've refined me, even though it hurt at the time. And the Greek word is fascinating here because it translates as smelting. Smelting is the removing of contaminants and additives. It's stripping things back. And it hurts, but it refines us and it reveals in us what we are about, what and where our true hope lies. You know, the last time I spoke, I mentioned the scene in Acts 5 when Peter and the other apostles are beaten for preaching about Jesus. Do you remember? And then they're basically told, we'll let you go, but don't do this anymore. Do you remember that? What do they do? They rejoiced and they carried on. They embraced it. You know, there was something of Christ in them, wasn't there? So even though we might suffer, we are not to be surprised, but we are to engage and, dare I say it, embrace it. Question number one, that was. Question number two, do you prioritize the pursuit of the spirit of glory? Do you prioritize the pursuit of the spirit of glory? The passage says, but rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Jesus, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Do you prioritize the pursuit of the spirit of glory? Rejoicing in sufferings. Insulted. You're overjoyed. I mean, it's a strange and disconcerting paradox, isn't it? In our culture, I would say they're, they're, they're incompatible. But biblically, they coexist. Life's hardships deepens and authenticates our faith. And this next bit is really important, so I'm going to say it twice. Which is that suffering in response to our circumstances does not overcome joy because circumstances do not threaten our inheritance. Suffering in response to our circumstances does not overcome joy because circumstances do not threaten our inheritance. I'm speaking of eternity. I'm speaking of heaven. You know, we may suffer. Your life, my life, it may get worse during our earthly walk due to our relationship with God. But our eternal life, guys, is, is going to more than make up for it. It really is. It's a reality that not all our blessing, in that sense, is going to come in this life. It's just not. 
But there's this wonderful silver lining that we, we cannot comprehend. And in fact, we, we neglect it, I think, at times. But we have this awesome hope, don't we? So when we suffer, at least we're suffering for Christ. At least gospel seeds are being scattered. I think that's what it means when it says, you will be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You know, part of this is that we get to share in his spirit, working in other people as they turn to him. And if you've experienced this, it is glorious. It's wonderful. And if you haven't, pursue it. Pray about it. Because it's so encouraging. And so suffering, persecution, offers a chance to show others the generous love of Jesus. And so at least God is doing a good work in you. At least you get to share and experience his glory as he brings others into himself. Even though it may cost us and we may suffer for it. I love the word glory. Anyone else love the word glory? I've always liked that word glory. And it's mentioned twice in the passage, which I think is significant. And you know what? Its meaning is rich and and glorious. The spirit of glory here is the same as we get in John 14, 17, where it's the spirit of truth. It's the same as the spirit of holiness in Romans 1, 4. And it's the same as the spirit of grace in Hebrews 10, 29. It's very rich. It's this recognition that all glory is his. And therefore the spirit, which is the spirit of glory, is none other than the spirit of God. You know, we need to grow into this spirit, don't we? We need to grow into the glory of Jesus. Deeper, higher, wider. So I was this height and build by the age of 14. So I had a wonderful two years playing rugby and cricket and kind of being the best in my team before everyone caught up. But as a result, I had some really unpleasant growing pains. Do you remember growing pains? Anyone ever get growing pains? I had them really unpleasantly because, I, as I said, I grew up pretty quickly. And it would wake me up at night, shooting pains in my legs, and I would complain to my mum. I'd come down in the morning and say, oh, being woken up again, mum. And she would say to me, if you want to be big and strong like your dad and like your big brother, then it just needs to happen. You have to bear with it. And you know what? As we grow, there is pain that's going to come with it, I'm afraid to say. But it's worth it if we are to root ourselves in the Spirit, to root ourselves in Jesus. Without God's Spirit of glory... Without the understanding that we are partaking in Christ's suffering and partaking in his glory, we are always, I would posit, we are always going to have a suffering threshold. And if you're anything like me, it's about here. (laughs) Anyone the same? Yeah, we just want to avoid it. What have I learned about myself when I've neglected the spirit of glory in my life? That spirit of truth, holiness, grace. That's what that word means, remember. All these aspects that God's given us. What's it exposed in me? To be quite vulnerable with you, it's exposed in me and that I'm far weaker than I thought I was. Far less stoic than I thought I was. Far less resolute than I thought I was. Do you know what? I'm always encouraged by Peter. (laughs) Peter, who goes from denying Jesus to dying for him, But what's the difference? The difference is that he knew the resurrected Jesus 
and the difference was the Spirit. And we have the same Spirit in us. Let me remind you of that. We've got the same Spirit in us. It's incredible. We are the earthly dwelling place of God. And this gives us strength and allows our suffering threshold to go to places that we didn't think possible. Do you know what the Spirit does? The Spirit makes me look out into a room and love people. I can't do that without the Spirit. The Spirit makes my heart overflow with compassion. I can't do that without the Spirit. The Spirit prompts me to step out and engage with the question that Peter asks in the passage, but is not answered. Did you pick up on that? What will the outcome for those Sorry, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? I'm going to leave that for you to answer. But we should want to play a part in the answer. We should want to play a part in the answer. You know, guys, you don't want to hear this. You don't want to hear this. But there is a really strong argument that persecution is the most effective evangelistic strategy. China? There was a cultural revolution in China that lasted between 1966 and 1976. Religious life was banned, Bibles destroyed, believers imprisoned, tortured, killed. Sound familiar? Now there are an estimated 45 to 60 million Chinese Christians. That's a pretty strong argument. I'm also reminded of um, a guy called Jim Elliott. Anyone, anyone have heard of Jim Elliott, who was a... Uh, a young American missionary who died young, actually. But he said this. He said, he's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Are we prioritizing the pursuit of the spirit of glory? Do we daily commit ourselves to our faithful creator? You know, I started this talk with the story of some scapegoats. Do you remember that? It's a while ago now, isn't it? These early Christians who were persecuted by, by Nero in Rome and elsewhere. But there's another scapegoat, isn't there? Christ was the great, glorious, voluntary scapegoat. Remember this? He was driven to a hill outside the city walls. All sins were cast on him for all time and for all people who repent and ask forgiveness. And that offer still stands today. And so, as followers of Christ, we carry that with us everywhere we go, though we may suffer for it. So my last question. My last question is where is our true comfort found? Where is our true comfort found? True comfort that means that we can rejoice in our suffering. To know that we are blessed, even though we may not feel it. And so I'm going to ask um, Emily and Faye to come back up. And in response to that question, I'm going to read 2 Corinthians 3.5. And I'm going to leave that with you. And when we sing in a minute I would encourage you just to, to meditate on, on 2 Corinthians 3.5 as well as the, the, the lyrics that we're going to sing in a minute we're going to sing When I Survey the Wondrous Cross I, 
I've asked for us to sing this. And there are some lines in, in this which are just rich. And it ends with the lines, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. And so those are big things to sing, aren't they? Really big things to sing. And if you feel that you can't sing that yet, then that's okay. But just meditate on what's being said. Meditate on Corinthians 3.5. Think about the words carefully. There'll be some of us here who want to sing out with great gusto, and that's good as well. But remember, you were brought at a great price. And so we can embrace suffering, even though it's difficult, because we know what Christ has done for us. And we know that we have an eternal glory to look forward to. And this life is, just, is but a mist. And every time I read aspects of the Bible, I'm, I'm always reminded just how brief life is. So 2 Corinthians 3, 5 says this. Remember, this is where our true comfort is found. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. But just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Amen.